everyone, my name is Andrea Eichen and it's time to take a look at what's coming up at Eagle Brook Church. The 4th of July is fast approaching and we want you to celebrate with your friends and family. So since the 4th lands on a Saturday this year, we are canceling the 6 p.m. services at all of our campuses. The 4 o'clock services will still happen, the 5 p.m. service at Coon Rapids will still be going on, and our Sunday services will stay the same. But if you show up for church at 6, sorry, we'll all be enjoying our bomb pops and sparklers by then. So go enjoy some fireworks and we'll return to our regular schedule the following weekend. If you've heard the good news about Jesus and have decided to follow him, your opportunity to be baptized is coming up in just a few weeks. On July 12th, we'll be meeting on the shores of Lake Johanna on the campus of University of Northwestern St. Paul for two baptism services at 3 and 5.30. Even if you've already been baptized, this is a great chance to worship together and cheer on hundreds of believers who are taking their faith to the next level. If you're excited about what Christ is doing in your life, it's time to get baptized. Go to eaglebrookchurch.com baptism to learn more and register. Coming up on August 6th and 7th is the Global Leadership Summit. The summit is for everyone who leads, whether in a boardroom, a classroom, an office, or a home. This two-day event is based in Chicago and broadcast live to more than 700 cities worldwide, and it features some of the most influential leaders of our time. For the 15th year in a row, Eaglebrook Church is a host site for this life-changing event, and we'd love for you to experience it with us. Sign up online and experience the view from the summit. Now it's time for the latest message in our series, A Time for Everything. And today we have the unique opportunity to hear from a guest speaker, Jeff Mannion, the senior pastor of Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And here to introduce him is our own senior pastor, Bob Barrett. Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses today, meeting throughout the Twin Cities on a beautiful summer uh, weekend in Minnesota. Way to go. You made it to church. I uh, hope God blesses you and honors you for that. I'm sure that he will. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online today throughout the country and world. More and more of you are doing that. We know you're out there and we're always glad to have you join us as well. But it is such an honor for me today to be able to introduce to you Jeff Mannion. Uh, Jeff is easily one of the best speakers in the entire nation. Uh, he, could, he could be leading a church anywhere around the country or world and be successful at it. 32 years ago, though, uh, Jeff became the senior pastor at Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. 32 years ago, he's still there. Uh, he was 21 years old at that time. The number of people in that church was 25. Just 25 people worshiping then, 32 years ago. Today, that church numbers around 8,000 people. They have three campuses. They're planning a fourth campus very soon. It's a fantastic church. If you're ever online, Dial into Jeff Mannion. He's, he's just a fantastic Bible teacher. He's the author of two books. His latest book is called Satisfied, Discovering Contentment in a World of Consumption. If you're a person who struggles with finding contentment, with being good with yourself in this world, and, and you're just struggling with consumption and materialism and just the madness of the stress around that, this book on, content, on contentment, being satisfied with your life, is fantastic. I've read it cover to cover. It's an easy read. Pick it up in our bookstore if you'd like to read that. But what I love most about Jeff Mannion is that he's a humble man. He's a humble leader. He loves Jesus Christ with all his heart. He loves God's truth. And he loves people. So at all six campuses, would you help me welcome Jeff Mannion today? Go get him, man. One more time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hey, good morning. 
I'm so glad that you are here today, and I'm so pleased that we get to spend uh, this time together. But I've got to warn you, we are going to be focusing on nine of the most disruptive words in the Bible. Nine of the most disruptive words in the Bible. Are you ready? Are you sure? All right, here we go. Nine of the most disruptive words in the Bible are, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Who in the world wrote that? And what were they thinking? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Question, have you ever gone through a season of financial shortage? When you didn't have the money that you wish were there, when you were struggling a bit financially, and there are those words, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Who wrote that? And what in the world were they thinking? So I'd like to introduce you to this fine couple. This is Chris and I. I'm rocking the corduroy jacket circa 1983. And I need you to know something. That couple needs Jesus very, very badly. Not only are they about to get married, and they have absolutely no clue what they're getting into, but a year into our marriage, I was between my junior and senior year in Bible college, my phone rings. It's a guy by the name of Marty, and he says, hey, uh, we're outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we'd love to have you come preach. Now, I was 21 years old, right? Uh, And so I said, sure. A month later, my phone rings. It's Marty again. Can you come fell in at Ada Bible Church, but this time for two weekends? And then after that, Marty called again and said, we would like you to come in. We'd like you to fill in until we find a real pastor. <laughs> They're still looking, all right? <laughs> uh, 32 years ago. But um, uh, by the way, just a word of financial counsel to you. If you are seeking a fast track to financial stability, do not become a pastor of a church of 25 people. <laughs> the offerings were tiny. Our salary was microscopic. And uh, those were just days of, of financial struggle. I mean, we had the cars, these cars, with the sketchiest of reliability, but it turned every morning in trying to start them into a spiritual experience. <laughs> I'd have devotions in the driver's seat. Rur, 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 rur. Oh, dear Jesus. Rur, 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 rur. God, if you're out there and you love me, rur, vroom. yes, there is a God, you know. <laughs> We had kids in quick succession, first Sarah, then Andrew, then Alex, three children, three years old and under. When they grew a little bit older, Chris would take them to McDonald's on like six bucks, treat them to lunch for six bucks. I mean, you've done this, right? Some of you have, where it's like get the double uh, cheeseburger meal and one of them cut in half, half to Alex, half to Andrew, the other cheeseburger to Sarah. You can supersize the fries and there's enough to feed a large subdivision, and so divide the fries among the kids. And if Sarah, the eldest, said, Mom, can I get a happy meal? My wife, Chris, would say, are you happy? Yep, then that's a happy meal. (laughs) Should Sarah complain, I don't know what Chris would have said, but I know that she could have said, there is a verse in the Bible you need to know. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Eat your fries, you know. Who in the world wrote those words, and what were they thinking? Now, you know, we look back on the early days, and we're, you know, with humor, and we kind of wax nostalgic about them. But when you're going through a rough time financially, it's just not that fun. Ramen noodles, anyone? (laughs) Did any of you overdose on ramen noodles during a season of your life? Trying to get through college, graduate school, good news, you scored an internship. Bad news, it's an unpaid internship. 
Did you not grow to loathe the fragrance, the aroma, the texture, the taste, the very crinkling of the wrapper? After a while, they all taste the same. No, Jeff, there are three pleasing flavors, beef, pork, and chicken. After a while, they all taste the same. You know, I kind of like ramen noodles. Well, there's a difference between eating them because you may and eating them because you must. And there are those nine words. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Well, this is us now, and we're not 21 anymore. We are fully in middle age and middle class. We avoided debt studiously. We saved. We were careful in budgeting. We drive reliable automobiles today. And with an appliance breaks down, a washer, a dryer, a refrigerator, it no longer is this financial earthquake in our lives. We, we have an emergency fund. And yet those words, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, are as convicting now as they were back in the early years. Because some of us learned how to do shortage really, really well. And we haven't learned how to do abundance well. Those nine words, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Listen, uh, contentment does not come automatically as your financial profile stabilizes. Those words challenged us in the early years and they, they haunt us today. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Who wrote that? And what were they thinking? And in your Bible, those words are found in a section of Scripture called Philippians. Philippians is short. It's four chapters long. And it's a letter. It's a letter between the founding pastor of Jesus' community and the Jesus, community, the Jesus followers. And it happened to be in the city of Philippi. The founding pastor, we know him as Paul. You might know him as the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul. Paul, but uh, a little map here just kind of shows the geography. Philippi is in northern Greece, and Paul travels to this city, probably 51 AD, so the middle of the first century, and there Paul explains the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the way of Jesus, what it means to find life in Jesus and have him change you from the inside out. He forms this Jesus community, and then he leaves, and he's gone one year, two years, three years, five years. Ten years later, he's not traveling around the Roman Empire starting groups of the Jesus movement. He's in Rome, and he's imprisoned there. He's waiting trial. Now, when Paul's in prison in Rome, we don't think it was a dungeon-type situation. We think he was under house arrest. But it still means you're confined. It means you can't travel. And we believe that he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Now, my understanding of Roman incarceration is that the Roman government would give you enough food to stay alive, but not really food with, like, high-protein, nutritional value, and, and maybe the meagerest of clothing. But listen, if you wanted to eat well and if you wanted to dress in any way that was warm with the oncoming winter or whatever, you better either have a bank account or outside help, friends who helped you on the outside, well, Paul is in prison is in Rome. One day his door opens, 
And this guy walks in by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was from the Jesus community in Philippi that Paul had founded 10 years earlier. Just back to this map, Rome is nowhere near Philippi. You'd have to walk across the upper section of Greece, sail to Italy, and then take another road across to Rome. And Epaphroditus shows up to give Paul help, and he also brings with him money, a collection that was taken by Paul's friends in Philippi, and they brought this to Paul in his imprisonment. I wonder if he cried. I'm going, what did this mean to him? Did it mean that he would be able to have a better diet, more nutritional food, clothing for the winter, other luxuries that he had gone without, but now he has his money? How do you say thank you for something like that? Philippians in your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, is the thank you note for this money that they sent. And you're thinking that Paul's going to go, you know, now that I received this gift from you, now finally I have peace in my life. Now finally I have joy in my life. Finally now I have fullness. Now that I received your gift, I have a wholeness. And Paul wants to be very clear about something. He wants to say, listen, thank you so much for the gift you sent. But he wants to make it clear that he was whole before the money arrived. He was at peace before the money arrived. That he had joy before Epaphroditus walked through the door with the bag of money. And it's in that context that Paul says you need to understand something. I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, my friends, those words were written by an inmate. I need you to know I was okay before the money got here. And today we have the privilege of talking about contentment. We gave the privilege to talk about what it is and what it isn't and what it means. And what it means is freedom. Listen, when we grow in contentment, it frees us. It frees us from buying stuff we don't need and will never use. A conversation about contentment is a conversation about freedom. It's the satisfied life. A, a conversation about contentment, uh, it frees us. We're free to enjoy the stuff we have without somehow thinking that wholeness or fulfillment is on the other side of our next acquisition. Uh, contentment is freeing. Uh, contentment frees you to look at the mountainous stuff that surrounds you and go, enough, enough. God, free my heart to give generously to, to, to my church and to under-resourced parts of the world and to friends I have that are in ministry. Uh, contentment frees you to give money away. Contentment. If you learn contentment, it is the liberated life. And I want so much for us to be free. I want so much for you to be free. So uh, today we have the privilege of having three conversations together. Conversation number one is about contentment. And conversation number two has to do with strength. Strength. And conversation three has to do with trust. So we're going to walk through these conversations together. But let's begin with the first conversation about contentment. And this first conversation about contentment, I would like to read the whole paragraph where Paul does that thing where he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, because he keeps, he keeps talking there, keeps writing. And so uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse uh, 11 begins with those 
awful words in our Bible. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance is. But then he says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, man, in any and every situation, whether, and he does a contrasting thing here, whether well-fed or hungry or whether living in plenty or living in want. And Paul kind of saying, yeah, I've experienced, I've experienced both, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I wonder if Paul were writing this today, what would he say? And if Paul were standing here speaking this today, I think he would say, okay, I know what it's like to fly business class. And I know what it's like to spend all night on a Greyhound bus trying to get some sleep. Maybe I've done both. I think Paul would say, listen, I know what it's like to stay in a five-star resort and love it. And I know what it's like to try to sleep in a seedy hotel where it is very evident that these sheets have not been changed in a long, long time. You've done both. I know what it's like to savor a succulent steak at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And I know what it's like to go two and a half days without eating anything. I've, I've survived both and learned to be content with both. I know what it's like to have a wallet and have a lot of money in it. And I know what it's like to have an empty wallet and go, dear Jesus, what are we going to do? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I have learned the secret of being content. So let's talk about contentment and what it is and what it isn't. Just for starters, uh, contentment is not getting everything we want. I believe that contentment is not getting everything we want, but having, but cultivating a satisfied heart that is alive to God and is alive to the people around us, even when we don't get what we want. Satisfied, the contented life is going, uh, I can have full joy and I can have deep peace even while I'm not getting what I want. So there's three powerful words, and this chair here represents your current situation, kind of where you are. And so I'm just going to sit here in the chair. This is you. This is where you are. And I'd like to, you to say three words out loud with me. You ready? They're the words here and now. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Here and now. So where are you? Girl says, uh, girl says uh, a college graduate, I I'm working in a coffee shop, the same coffee shop job I had during college. Where do you wish you were? I wish I was down there. I wish I was there with a teaching position, actually using the education degree that I just earned. That's when I will be at peace. That's when I will have joy. Three very important words for this college graduate are here and now. And this is one of the hardest things you will ever do, bringing your full self, being fully alive to God and being fully alive to other people when you are not where you want to be. Here and now, here and now, here and now. Now listen, send out resumes, polish the resume, network, network, network. But until that job comes, is it possible to experience full joy and deep peace? Not there and then, but here and now. This is contentment. Contentment does not erase desire. I might desire something else, want something else, hope for something else, but till I get something else... Can God meet me here in this challenging space, and can I be fully alive here? Is this not a powerful thing and a freeing thing? So where are you? It's not college. The woman says, no, no, it's this house. 
It's old, it's dated, it's dowdy, I'm bored. A renovation is what will heal my soul. This is a guy I ran into his writings. His name, cool name, his name is Duo Dickinson. And he wrote this book called Staying Put, like how to renovate your home into the house you would build if you, if, you, if you moved. And so I found this statement by him in his book, Staying Put. He says, if you don't like yourself, your house will not make you like yourself better. If your family is dysfunctional, a new home will not put it together. And this is in his book on renovating your home. He says, uh, 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 before you start ripping things apart, you need to know something. If you don't like being you, this, this kitchen will not make you like you better. And if your family is a colossal mess, a new family room is not going to fix it. Just be warned. He says, any renovation you attempt as psychological balm is destined to failure. Now, I don't know what his faith influence is, but I just hear Dickinson saying, here and now, here and now, here and now. Be at peace with yourself here and now, and you may be at peace with yourself there and then when the remodel's done. No, Jeff, here and now, where am I? A 1998 Toyota Corolla. Where do you want to be? Anything other than the 1998 Toyota Corolla. It's one of my heroes. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's Fred Rogers. Uh, something that he said, um, my, my dad is 75 years old, and my dad listens to me preach. He attends my church. He's a fan. And he, uh, I've quoted Fred Rogers where Fred Rogers says, uh, the older I get, the more I've come to believe that nothing I buy can take away my loneliness, fill my emptiness, or heal my brokenness. Baby, I love that quote. The older I get, the more I've come to believe that nothing I buy can take away my loneliness, fill my emptiness, or heal my brokenness. And so my dad was shopping for an SUV, like a Denali. And all his kids are like going like, Dad, it's like you and mom. Why do you need two empty rows behind you? And so he's, he's at the dealership, and he's, he's, he's walking around this used Denali, and he asks the dealer, he's trying to ask the right questions, and he asks the dealer, he says, well, what kind of mileage does it get? And the dealer goes, why? Do you go anywhere? <laughs> My dad says, no. Then he goes, then it doesn't matter. You don't care. <laughs> My dad said, okay. <laughs> so he loved this new ride. And so I called him one day just to ask him about his automobile. And my father, who is a fan and who listens to me, says, Jeff, all I can tell you is it took away my loneliness, filled my emptiness, and healed my brokenness. I look at Dad, how long have you been waiting to use that illustration back on me? But yeah, that's the idea. I said, I will be whole with a new ride. He's like, yeah, here and now, here and now, here and now. So I said, Jeff, no, I cannot be, I cannot live with joy and peace here. Now, my teenage daughter has absolutely run off the rails. She's in rebellion against us and against God. She's making life very, very difficult. When she changes, that's when I will have peace. You could be waiting a while. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to link your emotional equilibrium to hers? Are you certain that you want to link your spiritual vitality to hers? 
See, here's the challenge. The challenge is how to go through something nasty without becoming nasty. How to go through a trial without becoming a trial. Is it possible that the work of Jesus could be so powerful in our lives that we could be at our best when the situation is not at its best? That we could be fully alive to people, fully alive to God, and find joy and peace even before the situation changed. No, Jeff, it's impossible because we are here stuck in Minnesota. Our vacation is the second week of August, and here is peace and joy right there. <laughs> vacation paradise, that is when we will experience peace. That's cool. Have any of you ever had a vacation that backfired? If one or two things go wrong, found a resort that was not exactly what you'd call brochure compliant. Guy's in the hotel room. His wife's, his wife's in the other room. She's, she's putting on makeup or something. He gets bored and he flips on the TV and finds Sports Center. She comes out. She's upset at home. He's always watching too much sports. And she walks in. She sees him. She doesn't say anything, but she gets kind of huffy. <laughs> and he doesn't say anything, but he gets miffed that she's huffy. 20 minutes later, Huffy and Miff walk to dinner. And they're followed by their two teenagers, silent and surly. <laughs> and they're going to this like, Japanese-themed restaurant where they do the cooking in front of you. And on the way to the restaurant, all that Miff can think about is, I can't believe how much this vacation is costing me. And they open the door to the Japanese-themed restaurant, and Surly looks in and goes, this is lame. They will take a picture on the beach with all of them smiling. They will post the picture when they get home, and everyone will go, how come they have the perfect family? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not saying vacations are bad. I'm just saying most of them are mixed. Even the most beautiful places have things that misfire. The power and the freedom of here and now is this. The more you can learn to enjoy imperfect people and imperfect places here and now, it frees you to enjoy imperfect people and imperfect places here and then. The better you do at loving the imperfect people around you before you go on vacation, the better you will do at loving the imperfect people around you while on vacation. Contentment is not having everything we need. Contentment is the cultivation of a satisfied heart that's alive to God and alive to other people even when we don't get what we need. Peace and joy here and now, here and now, here and now, and it's hard. And Jeff, it's hard. This isn't a divorce I wanted. And it's turned our financial lives upside down. Jeff, here and now is hard. And his teenage daughter, his teenage son, here and now is hard. I'm tired of going to bed at night not knowing where my 17-year-old is. Jeff, the foreclosure, it wasn't just losing a house. We picked out the property. We designed the house. We opened Christmas presents in that family room for years. We became a family there. I don't know if we're done grieving. I don't know if we're over that yet. Okay, here and now, here and now, peace and joy here and now. Jeff, I just don't think I have the strength for it. Neither did Paul. 
Neither did Paul. We had a conversation about contentment. Now let's have a conversation about strength by looking at the very next verse that he wrote. Philippians chapter 4, 13, it is a famous verse. I can do all things, all this, through him who gives me strength. Paul, how in the world did you pull that off? I was able to do that. Be content in any situation because I had outside help. The power and presence of Christ in my life is what gave me the strength to be content in any and every situation. So let me get this right. Uh, you're in, under house arrest. Uh, yes. And you're chained to a Roman guard. Yes. And you've lost your freedom. Yes. And you do not want to be there. I do not want to be there. And you're content. Yes, I am. How in the world did you have the strength to do that? Paul's answer, I didn't. I could only do that through Christ, the power and presence of Christ who gave me the strength. Listen, this is the Apostle Paul saying, I had to have outside help. I could not have pulled that one off on my own. Alive to God, alive to the guards, joy and peace here. It's a conversation about strength. And three powerful words with, with contentment. It was like here and now, uh, this thing about strength. I would like you to say the words with me. He's with me. Ready? He's with me. That's what Paul says. He was with me. He's with you. As you stare into a cluttered garage and you go, I buy stuff I don't need with money I don't have and stuff I'm never going to use. He's with you. He's with you as you attempt to change that spending behavior. He's with you. It's the couple and there's a new child and they decide it's time. It's time to move from two incomes down to one. And there's a late night with a legal pad in a dining room where they're hammering out what in our lives are we going to edit out of our spending with this new income level? And they just need to hear a voice whisper into the dining room, he's with you. As you seek to be content with a new lifestyle and wave goodbye to luxuries that used to be normal, he's with you. As you make that transition from spending to giving, he's with you. As you try to figure out how to firmly yet lovingly parent a runaway kid, he's with you. As you face your next round of chemo two weeks from now, he's with you. Paul goes, I can only do this contentment thing through him who gives me strength, the power and presence of Christ. I had to have outside help. He's with you. Some of you, that is, the most, that is the most important and powerful thing you needed to hear this weekend. And in your automobile, as you're driving out of the parking lot, you just need to kind of look at each other and go, he's with us. He's with us in this mess. He's with us in this space. He's with us in this dilemma that we didn't ask for and don't want. He's with us. Powerful thing, freeing thing. A thousand years before the time of Jesus, there's this king of Jerusalem by the name of King David. In addition to being a king, David was also a songwriter, and many of his songs are recorded in our Bible. Probably his most famous song is what we know as Psalm 
23, the one that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that one. Partway through, King David says this. He says, um, he sings, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are Even though I walk through this dark valley, I refuse to be paralyzed by fear because you're with me. I refuse to be suffocated by anxiety because you're with me. He's with you. Such a beautiful story. Paul is in prison. The door opens up. Epaphroditus walks in from Philippi of all places, and he brings money with him for Paul. And Paul writes this beautiful thank you note in Philippians chapter 4, and there's something in my spirit that goes, I am so thankful that Paul had wealthy friends. <laughs> they weren't wealthy. <laughs> There are a couple hints in our Bible that the Jesus followers in Philippi were poverty-stricken. The money that they scraped together to send to Paul, this was a gift they couldn't afford to give. This was money they had no earthly business giving away. It's kind of like, great, now how are they going to eat? And so as part of his thank you letter, Paul wrote about trust. This enables us to have our third conversation, conversation about contentment, conversation about strength, conversation about trust. And again, it's a famous verse from the Bible, Philippians 4.19, where Paul writes, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing here, God's going to take care of you he could never pay this money back. Now he's eating, but are they eating? <laughs> it was a gift they couldn't afford to give. And so Paul writes, my God will meet all your needs. It didn't say luxuries. It didn't say wants, unfortunately. My God will meet all your needs. He's writing this in the context of a group that just gave a wildly generous gift. And he's just saying, listen. God will take care of you. Trust him. So there's something I'd love to scribble out for you, and so I need a kind of a, a flip chart here to, to do it. But as it's coming out, uh, those of you that are the copious note-taking types, I would like you to write down a sentence. I think this is incredibly profound. So ready? Um, ready? When I give money away, when I give money away, ready? It's not mine anymore. Thank you. When I give money away, it's not mine anymore. 
When I give money away, it's not mine to invest. It's not mine to put in a retirement account. It's not mine for a home renovation. It's not mine for a vacation. It's not mine to buy some new uh, piece of technology. When I give money away, it's not mine anymore. And there's something that surfaces in the spirit that just kind of goes, whoa, 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 time out. If I'm looking out for God's interest in giving money away, who's looking out for me? What if I don't have enough? And what if I won't be enough if I give this away? Fear of tomorrow will paralyze generosity today. So, let's talk about trust. I can't draw. This should be fun. So, I'm going to scribble something here. It's pretty simple. Let's just say God. Uh, down here, just going to write the word you. And... Uh, this is money that I take from my bank account or from the checks that come in, or my income. I just kind of put a G here for giving or for generosity. And I'm putting that at God's disposal. This is money I give my church. This is money I use to alleviate uh, suffering or education in under-resourced parts of the world to help friends in ministry. It's giving. And that's the question. It's, it's I'm taking care of God's interest. Who's taking care of me? What if I don't have enough and what if I won't be enough? Coming down this side is a P, and I use the word P for provision. Uh, my God will supply or my God will provide all your needs. And what we're invited to enter into is a cycle of care. Where it's kind of like, I give and God provides, and I give, and God provides, and I give, and God provides. I, looked af I look after his interests, and he looks after me. Trust me. And the cycle of care is always a cycle of trust. The generous life is a life that at its core says, God, I trust you. So if when we talked about contentment, I had you repeat the words here and now, and if when we talked about strength, I had you repeat the words, he's with me, this last conversation where Paul says, you Philippian people that just gave this gift, my God will meet all your needs. With trust, I would like you to say the words, I trust you. Ready? I trust you. Now, for a lot of us, that's simply not true. We don't. But maybe we could modify it a tiny bit and say, you know, God, I don't trust you, but I want to trust you more. Here and now, he's with me. I trust you. Okay, back to the attractive 21-year-old couple in circa 1983. We did something that we had absolutely no business doing as a 21-year-old newlywed couple with a church of a couple dozen people, including children, mind you, and counting pregnant women as two. We, we vowed, we decided that we would begin a practice called, a practice called tithing. If you don't know what tithing is, tithing is the life discipline of living on 90% of your income so that 10% of your income can be given away. That's what tithing is. Tithing is the life discipline of limiting your expenses to 90% of what's coming in so that 10% can be totally available for God's purposes in our world. And we did that when we were 21-year-olds and 
I, I, I didn't have this diagram and I wouldn't have used this language at the time, but we were entering the cycle of care and the cycle of trust. It's like we were giving and would God provide? And I just need to testify that we never missed a meal, though there were times when the cupboards were really, really empty. We, we were always able to scrounge together enough dollars or enough coins to get money in the car to get to whatever uh, appointment or church event we had, and our children always had clothing. Uh, we gave, God provided, we gave, and the thing was, those were some of the greatest years of trust in our lives as we trusted God to provide for us. Now listen, not only did we receive our basic needs, listen, there were just so many luxuries along the way, different trips or vacations or objects or items that we were blessed with that weren't promised, but that God just dropped on us in his goodness. I just want to testify that we experienced that, the cycle of care, the cycle of trust. Uh, my experience is that most good-hearted Jesus followers don't tell God no when it comes to generosity. And if we told him no, at least we'd have an opportunity for a good argument. Instead of telling God no, we use a more lethal word. The word we use is later. And it's lethal because we mean it. College graduates, oh, we definitely want to become those generous type people. There's no way we want to get to the end of our lives and say every penny we made we spent on us. We definitely want to bless our church and other individuals. We definitely want to become those generous types. Oh, not just now. I mean later. I mean, are you kidding me? We've got student loans, and we're just getting our first real jobs. Not now, but, but when? Later, and they mean it. And fast forward the tape, five, six, seven years, now maybe there's a wedding they're planning for. Maybe now it's uh, uh, trying to scrape together the down payment money to get out of the apartment and into their first home. And no, obviously not now, but, but later, fast forward the tape again. Now maybe there are these rugrats toddling around the room and the budget is consumed with vacations and vehicles. No, no, we want to become those generous types, not just now, but, but later. Fast forward the tape again and now they have kids that are college bound. You're finding college inexpensive, aren't you? Those of you trying to, yeah, we want to help our kids with some college expenses, and there's no way we've put enough money in retirement. We definitely want to become generous with our lives, but not now, but later. And suddenly you wake up, and you're 57, and for three decades later has actually meant no. And we miss out on the adventure. We miss out on the adventure of giving, and we miss out on the adventure of trusting. My friends, later is lethal. I just challenge people, start somewhere. Start now. If it's not 10%, start at 1% or $50 a week. Start somewhere. Start now in the journey of trust and in the journey of care. Fear of tomorrow will cripple generosity today. This is in a thank you note from an inmate who said, I had to learn, I had to learn, I learned to be content, whatever the situation. I've got to ask you, which expression seized you today? Was it here and now? Here and now. Was it he's with you? Was it I trust you? Or God, really, I don't, but I want to trust you more. My friends, this is a conversation about freedom. It's freedom 
from buying stuff we don't need and will never use. It's freedom to enjoy the stuff we have without thinking that wholeness is on the other side of some acquisition. It's freedom to go enough. God, free my heart to give generously. Contentment is the liberated life. And I want so much for you to be free. Learn it. Seize it. Grow in it. It's the liberated life. Let me ask you to stand. I'd love so much to pray for you as you go today. Gracious God, we give thanks that we've been in your presence and in each other's company. We've had the privilege of opening your story and soaking in the story and seeing how it applies to our own life by shaping us and molding us and transforming us. Give us the courage to respond and the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today.